Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Now, here's your host, No Shame on You's founder and president, Miriam Ament. Welcome to the seventh podcast of No Shame on You, an organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. My name is Miriam Ament, and I am the founder and president of No Shame on You. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Josh Rivdahl, author, global speaker, actor, arts entrepreneur, and much, much more. I am honored to be one of the 50 authors in Josh's upcoming mental health-focused compilation called The Impossible Project, Changing Minds, Breaking Stigma, Achieving the Impossible. Hi, Josh. It's so nice to be chatting with you today. Hey, Miriam. So glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, so let me start by asking, what's your background and how did you, become, how did you come to be involved in so many things? <laughs> well, um, I have um, a, a penchant for giving myself a hard time. No, um, I, uh, I, my background initially, my background initially is, uh, that of an actor and a playwright. And I was working professionally in New York city from the age of 19 to about 25, 26. And, uh, so I'm 33 now. And in 2009, I was 25. I lost my father to suicide. And there's a history of this in the family. Uh, my father lost his father in 1966. So my grandfather at the time would have been almost 50, and my father was 17, something we never talked about. But um, my mom told my sister and I in secret, my sister's a year older than I. And so I carried that around with me through my pretty much my entire life uh, from age 12 or so. And then 25, life kind of really threw me for a loop when my dad died. So I created a one-person show as sort of a response to that, kind of the love child of stand-up and comedy and traditional theater, played 18 different characters, uh, the show was originally called The Gospel According to Josh, and then I had to change it to Kicking My Blue Jeans in the Butt Much, you know, a couple of years after that because people got the wrong idea. They thought I was like, going to be preaching or something. I'm like, I'm the last guy who's going to be preaching. We, we, you know, <laughs> if you want lightning striking you, that's, that's your choice. Um, but um, So from there, uh, I created that show, and in 2010, I got to do it in New York City. It went really well, got good reviews, got invited to do it in Philly a couple times, a, a professional theater out there or outside of. And a few other places are interested. And then in the beginning of 2011, I was back in school. I was studying marketing, social emotional intelligence, different things, neuroscience. And um, I was suicidal myself and didn't know where to go, what to do. I was in a lot of pain. Uh, my dad was gone. My mom had taken me and my sister and brother to court for my dad's inheritance. And that was settled a couple months before that. But it really, I felt like I had no parents. Uh, my girlfriend of six years decided it was time to leave as well, so I had all this major change all at once, which, which was a catalyst for my suicidal thinking in addition to undiagnosed clinical depression that I had been living with my entire life but didn't have vocabulary around, so I thought I was going crazy at this point and period of time. And thankfully, so this is the beginning of 2011, thankfully, middle of February, after hanging out of a fourth-floor window in Manhattan, New York City, I, I got help, and then I got help from my counseling center at my college, and then for a variety of different things, and then I really felt like I needed to be in the service of others to feel whole again, so I had this epiphany to take the one-person show that I had written and condense it, and because the end of it does talk about my dad's suicide, I was going to use that as an opportunity to educate, 
youth, people on suicide prevention, mental health, mental illness, destigmatize the whole thing, do a Q&A on the back end, partner with clinicians, uh, social workers, that kind of a thing, and uh, did it at Peru College in May of 2011, didn't know how it was going to go, a young man at the end basically waited for everyone to leave and was like, thanks for doing this, this is so cool, um, I've been depressed for as long as I can remember, I've been thinking about dying for the past you know, a couple months, and I thought it was normal, and I had to tolerate it, now I know it's not, I'm going to get help in the counseling center, so I was like, holy cow, in my head, if I had to go through all this to help this one kid, it was all worth it. Right. So I was right. kind of addicted to that sort of help offering behavior. And uh, from there, um, I used that as sort of a platform, and I just started uh, pitching to different schools. And I started that first semester of the 2012, 2011-2012 uh, school year doing four speaking engagements and 17 the next semester. Uh, at this point, um, I've spoken in uh, – 38 U.S. states, three Canadian provinces, three states in Australia and in England. And um, there's different, you know, engagements that I do. I do stuff on diversity. I do stuff on mental health. I have a mental health-based curriculum called Changing Minds, uh, which is being integrated in different school districts, fire departments, stuff like that. And books, because I felt like I can only be in one place, you know, uh, so many times a year. But other people have stories, and everybody after each of my events, not everybody, but a couple people, 3, 10, 20 sometimes, wanted to tell me their story, fatherhood, mental health, depression, sexual assault, uh, sharing something really positive, whatever it was. After, after these events and people were sharing these stories, it changed my life for the better, and it made me understand, it made me empathize. I was like, well, if this is doing this for me... Other people have to hear these stories too, and a lot, and, and a good deal of folks, students, adults, conference people, whatever, wanted wanted a platform. And I, I have a somewhat of a background in marketing because of, of when I was doing theater, I started producing and writing and, and that kind of stuff. So I had to develop that hat, that that mindset. And so I had this platform. So I was like, oh, you know, I, I had this idea, and then it became the Impossible Project, you know, changing impossible to impossible, lemons and lemonade, liabilities and assets kind of a deal. And uh, first it was a blog, then it was like a social media campaign. And I was like, well, we can put out like a series because I had published under my publishing company my first book, The Gospel According to Josh, a 28-year Gentile bar mitzvah. And then I wanted to create a series that wasn't about me, so hence The uh, the Impossible Project. Uh, the first book in the series was out in 2016 in January uh, re-engaging with life, creating a new you. That was a more of a diversity feel, 50 stories, 50 authors, a thousand words apiece. Uh, and book two is coming out August 23, 2017, which you are in, and that is all mental illness, mental health. And then there's a third book that's kind of a new series. It's just an ebook series called Lemonade Stand, and that's going to be coming out concurrent with uh, with Changing Minds. And, and that's exciting because it's there's really no theme to that one, but it's a nice way for both both books to kind of get promoted at the same time and for the ecosystem to grow and for people to share their stories. And, and then there's a podcast now right. too. So why do all these things? Uh, because I feel like I need to, like I feel in a sense like I know business, I know advocacy, I know art in a sense, in different senses of those words. And I'm good at, at a variety of different things under each of those umbrellas. And my life I, like, my life was saved, you know. I mean, I wanted to be saved, but in, in turn, I took a risk and I, I reached out. And some people are doing that. A lot of people aren't. And and running the gamut of different social justice issues 
beyond the suicide and mental health. And I just, you know, I, I feel like my positive debt, my debt to the universe is to do this and to help. And it's kind of a calling, I guess. But um, because I can, you know, I need to. And, and also to, to create this as a business, which I have to, so I can continue to do this, um, you've got to be ever-evolving and changing. What worked yesterday isn't necessarily going to work today. So there's all these different things. And, and, and uh, really, I guess the Impossible Project at this point is kind of a media company, and uh, uh, but a social enterprise. So, I mean, you know, I, I think when I sell my curriculum, like it's it's a higher-priced thing, but I, I tell people I am in and out Burger and not Morton's The Steakhouse. Um, <laughs> low-quality ingredients. But, uh, but right. I don't want to make mental health or social justice a luxury item because it's not. So right. um, so my thing is volume, not luxury. And so that's kind of, I think, what running a social enterprise company is, um, at least my personal definition. So that was kind of the scenic route to that answer. Um, but uh, that's that's how and why I'm involved in so many things. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, and, you know, obviously you've been through a lot, as, as you mentioned, and I appreciate you sharing it and making it into something that's that's impacting so many lives and like you said a student came up to you after after doing your show at a school and, and just just the impact you're obviously having on so many people I mean and that was just one story but one of the questions I had and I, I have a lot but one of the questions I have for you um, is you, you you mentioned you've spoken in 38 states and in England and Canada and in Australia what what are some of the the mental health related themes you've seen from some of the audiences that you've you've spoken to so um, I guess I'll start in descending order um... I talk about the power of storytelling and then the art and, and, and combining that with the art and science of it. So in an effort to kind of encourage people to tell their stories of, of their lived experience and lived expertise, because I feel like in the mental health uh, world, suicide prevention world, stories of lived experience were devalued and thought to be triggering and, and detrimental for a long time. And it's been found that they're not when put in a proper context of hope and healing and instruction and help. Um, so that, to me, is very important. Um, and, of course, you know, the changing mind stuff that I have, it's, there's five different modules, so I can dress that up in, in its traditional sense as curriculum, but I can also do them as breakout sessions or as standalone keynote speeches. So uh, stuff on coping skills or suicide prevention, where it, it looks a little bit like QPR, um, which is like suicide prevention CPR for all the listeners out there who don't quite know what that is. Um, living with a mental health condition, what that's like and treatment and that kind of stuff, the basics of mental health. Um, and then I've done stuff on um, on the grief journey. Uh, that's not a real popular one of mine, but but I've done stuff on the grief journey. And, uh, and, and there's a bunch of others. I, I'm actually doing some anti-bullying stuff now, uh, and that's largely in middle schools and like lower end lower end, like ninth, 10th grade high school stuff. Um, and I'm doing a lot of staff trainings now, staff uh, suicide prevention, intervention training. Um, feedback, you know, feedback has been really cool. Like I, I, I wish I could kind of give some of the negatives too. Um, there has been like one, but that was from somebody who didn't stay the entire time and, and didn't quite get it and was, um, you know, uh, so there's really no need to kind of dive into that. But it's usually pretty pretty positive in, in the sense that what I do is very non-traditional um, because I do insert a, a good deal of humor and um, I guess humor and and levity into what is traditionally seen as a drab and, and it is it, it's a drab dark avoidable 
topic, and, and many of these are, even like the social justice stuff, when I do stuff on diversity and talk about people with disabilities or LGBT, it, they're not lighthearted topics, but but because I have a good sense of self-deprecating humor and can go on tangents hopefully quicker these days than they used to be, um, it adds some levity to, to each of the topics, which I think is really, really important. Otherwise, nobody's going to sit there and listen and retain knowledge and and want to and, – and, and because I don't want to be the keynote speaker who comes in and and gets paid, which is great. And, and but then nothing happens the next day. I want to see feet moving and, and action being taken. So, right for me, that's there's no reason to be doing that. So I need to do something that's really engaging and entertaining and powerful and educational. Um, and so uh, the feedback has been really really nice, and that goes from conferences to high schools, middle schools, staff. Um, just just the idea that, and, and with the curriculum stuff that we've been doing now too, I take intake and exit data to see how knowledge is being retained and is being retained. And there's specific questions Wonderful. and models that we've we've taken um, and, uh, from from different questionnaires and things like that from industry best practices. But um, it's I'm thankful that that the, that the stuff has been overwhelmingly overwhelmingly positive because I lost a parent, I lost a grandparent, I nearly died myself. And if it's not going well, it's time to stop. You know, this, I can make money in other ways and do other things. I mean, my goal is to right. be out of a job, you know, in this field right. and do something else. Um, right. So, yeah. I wanted to go off of one of the things you mentioned. You said you try to inject humor and levity in all that you do. I understand that you appeared on Saturday Night Live, and I wanted to just, you know, uh, go off track for a second and just ask how, how was that experience and has that informed any of the humor and levity that you, you do inject into so much of your speaking and, and, and work? Yeah, I would say I would say kind of going backwards that, that the S- Saturday Night Live SNL um, was a really interesting experience. I was 19, and it kind of laid the groundwork for me to get into improv and to take improv theater uh, I, you know, I took different classes and lessons and stuff like classes, I guess you'd say, not lessons, but um, in New York City um, through the Pitt People's Improv Theater, which is like the sister school of um, Upright Citizens Brigade. People will know these brands, these names, if, if you're kind of involved in the theater world. Similar to Second City for my Chicago friends, for your friends, Mir- Miriam. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was uh and I think the improv piece real quick and then I'll jump back to SNL is really important because it, it helps you be okay with falling flat in your face. Like if if something I'm doing isn't going well or if I totally, you know, cuz in the beginning of my speeches I do try to like almost all the time try to land a joke or something topical or something regional. And if it's not going well, or if it doesn't go well, I can immediately call attention to that. And because of that, that becomes the funny moment, in a sense. So oh, not, that's cool. being, not being hung up on, this is sucking, and I'm not doing well, and I need to leave the stage. In improv, if you're not doing well, then <laughs> that's kind of funny. Because yeah, if you're being truthful, that's kind of funny. And it's your job as the improv actor to always make your partner look good and and to always kind of roll with the punches. So it's not really about you. Just like what I'm doing on stage is not about me. It's about the audience. It's for the benefit of the audience and to make them look and feel good. And right. and also to be okay with rolling in the punches. If some somebody decides to bring their baby to the conference, like, and if the baby starts crying, like, what do we do? Do I call them out? Do I make a joke about it and kind of right. passive-aggressively call them out? I mean, there's, like, so many options, right? So... Right. The, S- the SNL piece was 
kind of ridiculous. Um, so I was 19, and um, <clears throat> so this would have been 14-ish some odd years ago, and the guest that day, that night, was, um, oh, man, it was it was Steve Carell. And the musical oh, guest cool. was Kanye West. Yeah, and oh, and Mike cool. Ma- and Mike Myers made a special appearance. And oh. so there's there's two shows. There's an 8:30 show, and there is an 11:30 show. And the 8:30 show is is pretty much the rehearsal. And so right. the 8:30 show, they figure out what they need to cut, what they need to modify for the 11:30 show. And this is like after like a full four or five days of writing and all that stuff. So 8:30 show, I have a line. I have a line in one of the skits where Steve Carell is pulling his sweater off. I'm like a waiter or something. I get to have like two lines. And, wow. Uh, and so this, this happened to coincide with Andy Samberg's first day on the show. <gasps> so, wow. Yeah. And so I I did fine with the line. Things were cool. I told all my friends and family, watch SNL tonight. And so before the 1130 show, the director pulls me aside and says, hey, so this is Andy's first show, and we're going to give him your part, and you're going to sit in the back <laughs> of this airplane sketch. And I was like, what? You know, I was so disappointed. And everybody I told, and this was, I mean, this was this was around the time that cell phones were getting big. I mean, I was 19. I had a, probably had a cell phone for about three years at that point. And so it, it just, there was really no smartphone kind of deal. So it wasn't right, like I could like, text, text everybody everyone. and tell them, like, don't do this. Um, everybody watched, like, where the hell was Josh? And the only place they could see me is when they went to commercial and panned out, and there I was in the back of the sketch. And they had to keep putting me further and further back in the sketch because, like, I guess I was moving too much or, or like, I guess I was too antsy because I was a little bit pissed at getting, like, pulled out of that out of my, my line. So, I mean, I right. still got paid for it because getting, you know, having a line, you get paid a, a bit right. more than being an extra or and whatever. So, I mean, I got paid for it. It was great. It was a cool experience. I got to see what the set was like. I got to see. Uh, I think Seth Meyers was the head writer or one of the head writers at the time. Uh, Tina Fey was still on the show, I, but I didn't really interact with them. I, I pretty much kind of interacted with Andy and a little bit with Seth, like a little bit, and any of the extras that were on set, and 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 Steve Carell a little bit. So uh, it was a cool experience. It was really fun. It's a good story. Didn't turn out the way I wanted to at the time, but um, such is life, I guess. But, you know, it's in, I mean, first of all, I'm sorry it didn't turn out the way you wanted, but it's also sort of, you were talking about improv before, it's almost like you had to learn to roll with the punches when the improv line you were supposed to have didn't go the way, you know what I mean? Like, you still had a, yeah. that's such a great story, because I feel like it embodies, this is what, this is what the world is like, and this is, it's almost like a life lesson, it's it's a tough one to get at 19, but it's a, it's a life lesson, but, um, but it, I'm sure, informs, you know, a lot of your speaking and, and many of the other great things that you do having that that sort of life lesson in the back of your head for sure i mean and it's something that i've i think there's been a pattern of that in my life where like not being okay with the outcome and having to go back to some of those lessons or going back to mindfulness or going back to like what i work on in my own therapy sessions with my counselor therapist like dude you've got to be cool with what happens because it's like you know in business like i just created the the best new tablet and the market's like well your tablet sucks but it works as a good doorstop so am i going to be cool with it being a doorstop or am i going to be pissed that it's not what i wanted to be i can make a lot of money with it being a doorstop or i can get pissed and have it do nothing as a tablet so i mean like being okay with whatever the outcome is that's like every damn day kind of you know right 
Exactly. No, 100%. So I wanted to um, just ask a little bit more about, we touched on um, um, the book coming out um, that I'm honored to be part of, The Impossible Project, Changing Minds, Breaking Stigma, Achieving the Impossible. I want to talk a little bit about how did you, how did you, uh, that it's a big undertaking to get 50 authors to, to kind of tell their story. So how did you go about doing that? And then um, I wanted to make sure we, we give our listeners ways to get a whole, you know, all, all of the things you have going on, how they, how they can find all the things you have going on online and, and whatnot. Yeah, um, that was, you know, <laughs> both books, first, second, and the Lemonade Stand, but with with Changing Minds, the changing mind, our Changing Minds book, not particularly easy. I mean, I knew some people, I knew you, but only kind of like vaguely knew you, um, and I've gotten a chance to know you a bit better in the in the year or so since, since, uh, since we've been in touch on this particular project, but... Um, so some of the people were people that I already knew. Some people were some people that I had met kind of on my speaking journey. And I would say maybe 30 to 40% are like people I found through the mighty or through uh, different stigma or websites, blogs, mental health blogs, mental illness blogs, and stuff like that. And I just reached out to a bunch of people and was like and, – and it was only like if they were good writers and they had a good story and they were overwhelmingly – you know, hopeful, positive kind of a thing. So I found them that way as well. And so it was, um, I mean, honestly, it, it took a bit of time. Uh, I think I think I just got my last story, even though we're going to, to print in only a month. I think I got my last story maybe a month and a half ago. So wow. it was, a, it, yeah, it's been a delicate balance of finding the right combination of people, no divas, no, you know, people who want special whatever. I mean, it's basically a favorite nations. Everyone's getting a specific royalty. Everyone's getting the same bulk rate deal. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're all equals. There's no first among equals. We're all equals in the book. And so, um, so that kind of a deal just makes sure no divas, great people I want to work with, people who I want to stay in touch with on a long, on a long-term basis. There's a little bit of selfishness to it because I, I just want to surround myself with people who I either want to hang out with or I want to do business with or both. Um, right. And, that looks different with different people, but I, I just don't want to be around people who I don't want to be around. I'm too damn old for that. I'm 33. I've, <laughs> you know, I've spent some time. I was an actor for a long time. I, I, I had spent a long time doing that, although there were some great people that I've been in touch with and, and, and all that too. Um, so putting the book together was, was was certainly not the easiest process. And then I, I also function as curator and editor. So I might, for this book, I might have had, I, even though I said I got my last story, there's probably 60 stories available, and I was only able to use 50 of them. And some of those did bleed into the Lemonade Stand book because the you know the Lemonade Stand has stories that didn't quite fit into book one and book two. Um, but going back to Changing Minds, um, so then so I play editor. That takes some time. Got to you know get a bio from people and stuff like that, and I got to edit that. And then doing the book design itself, uh, I also do that um, as well. And there's sort of a, a template that I use. And then I send out to a book designer, and then we work on spine and back cover, front cover. And then the rest of it is marketing, publicity. Um, and uh, and so it, it is. It's a hell of an undertaking, um, to say the least. But um, it's really rewarding. I mean, it, it serves as a Swiss Army knife. I mean, we're going to take some of these stories and do some – uh, some social. Uh, uh, I have a partner at the University of Texas at Arlington. We've been uh, working on journal papers based on these stories. Um, oh, you know, cool. of course, we can sell them. The authors can sell them. They can use them to to gain 
speaking gigs if they so choose. They can give them away. Nonprofits can do stuff like that. So it's exciting the different ways that this book can be used and these books can be used. Um, and, of course, they're meant to be read, too. So, right. Um, yeah. So right. It's, no, it's I'm excited. A lot I of work. Copy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's exciting, though. I mean, it's such a, like, nobody cares how the cake is made. They just want to eat the damn thing. So, you know, it's cool that you kind of asked, and there's so much more to it. I could spend two hours talking to you about it. I won't do that. But um, but it's exciting to see this stuff come to fruition, and I've got to really take the time to really soak that in. Um, and it's not always easy because like, i got to move to the next thing, but, you know, within right, the context right. of the book. But, yeah. No, but it's exciting also just that you have so many stories. I mean, that, that, that it makes me happy to know that people are willing because you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, people talking about lived, you know, people telling their stories and lived experience, especially people with lived experience. I mean, studies show that one of the best ways to eliminate stigma is for people with lived experience to tell their stories and to have contact with other people. So the fact this book is doing so much to help break the stigma and, you know, having such an impact, you know, that 50 people are telling their stories is really is really something. It's exciting. It's really exciting in like different different illnesses, quote unquote, uh, disorders. I prefer to call them conditions, but we have schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, OCD. I have somebody with uh, something called Piro, which is, I think she describes it as an OCD, but a fear of being a pedophile, even though she's not. Um, there's bipolar, one and two, depression, um, I my own story is about my depression and I I make my depression in, into sort of give it human like qualities and so we spend the, the the my story talking back and forth and he's not treating me too well and I explain to the reader why this is all happening and so it's a kind of a different bent on storytelling and so there's a lot of different varieties which is really exciting to to see and hear people talk about things that I don't get like ADHD or anxiety or panic attacks and self-harm and postpartum. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it is, it's all really exciting and really cool that people are willing to share of themselves and be vulnerable. Right. No, it's, it's, thank you for putting this all together. It's really gonna, um, gonna resonate with, with a whole, such a variety of people. Cause like you said, you have so many, so many mental health conditions included in the book. So where can people, in terms of all that you do, where can people find information about getting the book uh, or the, the the several books you have out, and also uh, your your speaking and 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 the other stuff you have going on. Just the main website is uh, www.iampossibleproject.com, like I am possibleproject.com. Um, for Changing Minds book, um, it's iampossibleproject.com slash pre-order, and then after August 23, 2017, it's going to be com slash 2, T-W-O. And as far as my speaking stuff, uh, there's um, the same website, com slash speaking, and there's like a variety of topics and, and things, which isn't completely updated, but um, one problem at a time. So that's how people can find <laughs> me and get in touch, and I'll... Uh, I'm pretty responsive, and I'm always happy to t talk and help and chat and do whatever I can to uh, to be of service. Yes, you. Thank you. You've always, I've always, um, you've always been wonderful to communicate with. So I, I can attest to that. So thank you so much, Josh. Is there anything else you want to add? Yeah. I mean, I thank you so much for sharing and for all that you do for the mental health world and really just just helping people worldwide to to make their lives better. 
Whatever I can do. Um, nothing to add. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to be here another hour. But um, <laughs> uh, just thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your work inside and outside of religious communities and, and just in general at, you know, community-based mental health. Um, I've been following your work for several years. We've met through our mutual friend Ephraim Epstein, and I'm so glad he made the connection because uh, it's good to know about your stuff and your work and, and what's going on in Chicago and beyond. So. Uh, exactly. Big kudos and yeah. thanks right right back to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and but yes, big thanks to Ephraim, who's the most amazing connector uh, that I know. Um, I know. So, yeah, he's incredible. Um, okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And, and everyone, please check out uh, all of, of the many things that Josh does. And, and, uh, and we look forward to hearing more stuff coming from you very soon, I'm sure. Thanks again for having me on the show. Sure.